0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Courageous leadership
1: requires courageous leaders, and that's what we find in the lives of many saints but few saints excel in the area of zeal and apostolic labors like St. Junipero Serra. I'd like to look at his life in particular because it reminds us of the urgency both to spread the gospel and to be willing to lay down our lives in order to make this happen. Obviously, this is something we could apply to all of the calls of God in our lives. Hi everybody and thanks so much for being here we are continuing to look at the inspirational lives of the saints because, frankly, we all need a little inspiration. I mean, when we are looking at a difficult situation in our own world, be that in our families, in our lives, in our country, the challenges that economics and social pressures can can face us with can leave us feeling dispirited. Sometimes this dispirited, you know, each one of us reacts differently to that. And a lot of people turn into like a victimal state, you know, where they kind of just end up thinking life shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be hard. And that somehow or other, it's either their fault or it's everybody else's fault that it is hard. And, you know, we we just have this temptation to say that therefore, you know, basically we're not made for this time and that this time is not made for us. But as you can tell, that attitude is simply not helpful. I mean, that's not going to get us out of the pit. Claiming that we shouldn't be in the pit, claiming that it's wrong that we be in a pit is not what's going to get us out of the pit. What we need now is in the spirit of leadership that stands up and says, no matter what the circumstances around us, we're going to turn this into an opportunity and we're going to meet the challenge that's on the outside of us by a spirit that comes from the inside of us okay you got to always remember this when god converts the world and sends his holy spirit down upon the apostles he sends it upon them from the inside we see this is what happens for example when jesus rises from the dead he breathes on the apostles it's a really kind of strange gesture, right? You're like, why in the world would he breathe on them? That just doesn't strike us. It's the only time that it says that in the scriptures that they, he breathes on them. And each time when there's a breath in the Bibles, the Bible in the Old Testament, it always refers to an act of giving life. But God breathes into the nostrils of Adam, and Adam comes alive. Elijah breathes into the the person who is dead and raises them up from the dead. Jesus breathes on the apostles to give them this new life that, in other words, to animate the body from the inside. The Greek philosophers used to look, for example, and say, what's the difference between a rock or the earth? And a lizard. And they said, well, a rock or the earth, that's moved from the outside. Weather comes, winds blow, things move the thing from the outside. Whereas a lizard actually moves itself. The principal definition of a thing that's alive is that it changes the environment around it by its own volition. In other words, it moves itself from the inside and when philosophers looked at that and they said well what's that mean how does a living being move itself from the inside they came up with the term soul and they said well that's because that living being is something that has the capacity to move itself and we know that something is no longer alive or that the soul is no longer present when it can no longer move itself it can no longer breathe, it can no longer move, it can no longer grow. It's something that we refer to as dead because the soul is gone. And that principle of the soul is on the inside of the, of the person or of the living thing. And the more that we get in touch with that principle, the more that our life becomes free. In other words, if I really want to live the life that I want to live... I've got to stop looking for towards the outside to give me permission to live the life that I want to live. All right. There are definite constraints to different aspects of our life on the outside. But at the same time, there are, there is a spirit that we can well up within us that can transform a lot of those constraints creatively to do our will. And, you know, you can definitely go overboard about this and become some sort of ubermensch, you know, right out of a Nietzschean philosophy, right? That kind of says you can do anything that you want. It's a matter of overcoming, et cetera. But there's also a properly Christian way of understanding this freedom, which is to say, what if, in fact, I could summon everything that I had on the inside and put it at God's disposal, to use however he wants, and sometimes accepting that God will want me to use this in a way that accepts my limitations or that transforms from the inside whatever circumstances I've been given into an attitude of sanctification and of celebration and of worship of him. I mean, I'm not saying that we have to do all kinds of exterior successes as Christians, but I am saying that the Christian saint is the one who claims whatever's happening in their world by the spirit that God has breathed into them and that Jesus Christ has breathed into them at the moment of their confirmation and at their baptism. When the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, he came in two signs. The first was the sign sound of a driving wind, the breath of God. And then of course, the fire of the heart. But that inner spirit is what we need to raise up within us and not act as if somehow or other because things are hard on the outside or things or conditions are limiting what we'd like to do that therefore we are to be overcome. No, the Christian is never overcome. The Christian is challenged. The Christian is pushed down. The Christian is pushed against. But the Christian is never overcome even if on the outside we are overcome and limited on the outside, it's that inner quality that Jesus Christ himself displayed on the cross. The freedom of the Son of God, whose soul was moved by divine love that never succumbed to the suffering, the tortures, all of the reasons that we would have to quit or give up in our life or reduce ourselves down to what the others who are on the outside wish us to be, all of that, Jesus Christ transformed by the spirit that was within him, a spirit that was never bowed, a spirit that never quit or surrendered, the spirit of God that he breathes on his apostles and that he has given to us for this exact moment in our life, should we choose to engage in?
0: Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to Ministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today.
1: You know, the courageous leader is the leader who chooses to stir up that spirit, the spirit that is inside of them, given to them by God, in order to engage it in the circumstances with which they are confronted right now. And there's no better example I can think of today for doing this than St. Junipero Sarah. This guy was absolutely Incredible. And such a gift to the United States of America where his body is still buried in Carmel in the floor of the church of the mission where he worked and labored for, with you know, famous energy. I just want to give you uh, an overview of his life because I think it's so instrumental for us today showing us the courage that is, is summoned by God and the, the zeal with which we could fill our days regardless of the oppositions in front of us. St. Eriperocero was born in a very small town, Petra, in the middle of the island of Majorca in the Mediterranean Ocean. Now, what an island. I mean, it's, it's part of the Balearic Islands, in the, just off the southern coast of Spain. Gorgeous, Right. And when you look at the island, though, he was not from the beach. (laughs) He was living in a small town, very modest beginnings. You could almost say, gosh, like there's, you know, there's no way a a kid from here in, you know, the early 1700s would amount to anything. He was born of like a peasant family. He went to the, the local school where the Franciscans educated him. And that's where the spark begins. He decides in his heart to give his life to Jesus Christ by surrendering himself absolutely in his footsteps and in the footsteps of St. Francis of Assisi at age 15. By the time he's 16, he's actually a novice in the coastal town of Palma where the Franciscans notice his, in, his intellect and his capacity for learning and they educate him. At the age of 31, he's earned a doctorate in theology. Going from this small little spot of disadvantage and by the the generosity of the Franciscan friars, this young man is both a Catholic priest and a PhD in theology who is developing his mind now in order to be an educator. And that's what he does for the next five years. He's teaching and educating in this beautiful coastal town, living a, a comfortable, established life. And then that flame continues. This is what's so remarkable to me. The soul of Junipero Serra is truly an example of what every Christian soul could be. Instead of him looking at his life and saying, I've already achieved great things. Let me simply continue where I am. Hunipero wanted to give everything that he could at the service of Jesus Christ in his gospel. I am sure that he could have stayed there in Palma and been, you know, wonderfully effective and a great saint, you know, and there were probably many great saints who stayed right where they were and did their job and did it well. You know, sanctity is not a question of doing extraordinary things, but it is a question of following your heart and following the call that Jesus Christ puts on your heart. And if Jesus Christ has put you in a spot where you're a high school teacher, right, in small town, western Ohio, or you're a cattle rancher in northern Wyoming, or you're just, you know, an accountant at an accounting firm, and that's where your heart is put, well, then follow him there. You can sanctify that and become a great saint by filling that with great love. But there are some souls who reveal to us on the outside, that even if we're not called exteriorly to do incredibly incredible things or things that are noticed by everyone around us as astounding feats for the gospel, we are called to live what we, where we are with an incredible zeal, an insatiable zeal, a love for God and for our fellow human beings that fills our lives with meaning And fills our hearts with purpose. And Rupert Ocero's life demonstrates this on the outside. Because at age 36, that young college professor, well-established, happy priest, decides to leave it all again. And to leave his native country behind forever. And a journey to Mexico as a missionary. And now think about crossing the ocean, how long that would have taken two, three weeks on a boat heading out from Spain to Veracruz, Mexico. And when he touches down there, instead of taking you know, a normal you know, way of getting to Mexico City some 250 miles away, this young fervent priest at age 36 decides he's going to walk it on foot. It's a total climb of over 7,000 vertical feet in elevation. You have to go up over a mountain range just to get over there. Long road, 250 miles, and touching down there in Veracruz, he decides to walk it on foot. And it's here that he gains a cross that's going to make his missionary life even harder. Already, young Unipro is a severe asthmatic. So it can't breathe very well, and he's crawling, crossing mountains in a brand new terrain. You can imagine all the different molds, all the different allergies that would have affected that asthma, and he just pushed through it. And he's spending the night in a barn on his way to Mexico City, begging his way, of course, across the road, and a bug bites him. Now, some say it's a mosquito. It must have been one heck of a mosquito because he has an allergic reaction to the bite. And is scratching his legs so much that his legs become ulcerated. His, his one leg in particular becomes ulcerated. And the ulcers never heal. So he has, for the rest of his life, he dies at the age of 70. He's 36 at this point. So that's literally for the second half of his life. The next 34 years, Huniperosera has got a condition of an ulcerated leg. Bleeding. Open wounds the infections from this bug bite never go away this is of course before modern day antibiotics and he continues to push on he gets his first assignment and he's up in the sierra gorda mountains some 200 miles north of mexico city where he works with mission churches for 8 years loves that job he's teaching the local people he's translating the gospel and the stories of saints into there and them but at the same time, look where that, the mountains are. Those are high mountains. Those are 8,300-foot mountain peaks around there. So he's in elevation with the natives, teaching them about the love of Jesus Christ. Then he goes back down to Mexico City after eight years. Then he's sent out to coastal mining villages to keep doing the same thing. And he must have really stood out for the the Franciscans in the area because of his incredible zeal and his capacity, because at the same time as you're teaching them about Jesus, you're teaching them about the economy, you're teaching them about living, you're governing these people. And that's when the next era of his life begins. At age 54, he's not done. The fire burns up in his chest again. And Junipero Serra is summoned to go to the California missions uncharted territory to convert the natives who know nothing about jesus christ and he says yes
0: father nathan has founded the saint john institute the mba program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. dare great things for christ If we follow the life of Junipero
1: Serra, it's only at the end of his life. He almost finishes like a crescendo. And wouldn't that be something for each one of us? You know, because a lot of us don't look at our lives that way. We just live according to the natural purposes. I grow, I have a crescendo till I find my spouse. And then I have a crescendo as I have kids. And then I'm in a decrescendo from there on out until I just kind of bid farewell to the world quietly, you know, in, in, a, in a quiet way. And while that might be the way of the body, the way of the soul, it should not be that way. In our soul, we should be in an ever-increasing intensity of love for God and for our family. And I think most people, most people do that. But what's extremely remarkable about Junipero is that his crescendo was visible at age 54 he gets asked by his superiors if he's willing to go to be a missionary there in where there no, have been no missionaries before. The natives still living in their pagan religions according to their various tribal customs. And Spain is opening a new colonization effort for the California area. And as, as they do that, Junipero knows this is going to occasion a whole transformation of the way of life for these natives and he'd like to bring the Catholic faith to them and so he agrees to go along with the colonizers in order to help the natives to embrace Jesus Christ and to know Jesus Christ and so he begins a journey now at this point in his life Junipero has already walked with an ulcerated leg over 6,000 miles by foot in the next 15 years of his life, the final 15 years of his life, Junipero Serra will have walked a total of 24,000 miles. Now to give you some idea of how far that is, this is the, the total length of the journey of Marco Polo and Lewis and Clark combined. They do not equal the total amount of footsteps that Junipero Serra put down out of love for Jesus Christ. What was at the heart of such extraordinary zeal? I mean, when you think about it, in 15 years, he founds nine missions. So if you do the math on that, that equals he founded a city every 20 months. (laughs) Think about that. And these cities still exist today. They're called San Diego, Ventura, Carmel. These sound familiar to you? Exactly. I mean, The cities that he founded continued to exist to this day. And he founded one every 20 months. When you found a mission, everybody, this is not just like some sort of small thing. You have to know how to set up the economy. You have to know how to set up the balance of the care of the people. You need to set up the local government. You need to, I mean, like, you have to think of everything. The defense of the mission, the, the rearing of the people, the salvation of their souls, the energy implied in those 15 years of his life well they ought to inspire us because remember when he started this he's 54 when he leaves mexico he hits you know san diego he has to walk all the way from mexico city to san diego now he'll go back to mexico city a couple of times so he's crossing one of the most arid places on the continent and he crosses a total of four times on foot in order to defend the rights of the Indians against the colonizers who are abusing them in different ways. He lobbies for laws. He lobbies for policies. He Im- insists upon the correct and kind treatment of the natives. And as he's doing this, he's walking with a bum leg and with asthma. Now again, like, and founding cities. He founds that every one of his mission is one day walk from the next one. And he governs the whole thing from the from his control center, so to speak, at his Misión San Carlos there in Carmel. When when I consider that by the end of his life there were four thousand six hundred baptized Christians, when you do the math on that, that's one point two per day for every day that he was out there. What an amazing fruitfulness! Not only do you, and this is only in the last 15 years of his life, and you think, what did it it cost him? You know, what what did he have to sacrifice for that? How many sleepless nights? How much worry? How many stresses must have been inside of him? Who was it that he could share with? He was far away from his home. He came from this beautiful small island in the Mediterranean, and he ends up on the coast of California. He's going to die away from his own people. He's going to die in a colony. And along with him, there'll be all of the people that he supported and all, the, all of the controversies that he was involved in and his tireless energy. When I think of his life, I just think, what a beautiful overachiever for God this guy was. He's a beautiful overachiever. His whole life was pushing the envelope. Coming from a small town in the center of the island, he goes to the major port in the city. And in the major port in the city at age 16, he's already a friar. And by the time he's 31, he's a PhD and a priest. And then he decides to set sail for Mexico, where he walks by foot 250 miles to Mexico City. And then after evangelizing 15 years in Mexico, goes again as a missionary. He's a double missionary. Once from Spain to Mexico, once from Mexico into the colonies up north into the Alta California. And there he, he founds the missions as he goes. Crossing the Baja Desert, he, he goes all the way into Southern California and founds nine different cities. In each one of them, replicating the same effort. But this is in the later part of his life, all with asthma, all with a bad leg, all without support except from Jesus Christ and his blessed sacrament. When you think about this, I think about our own lives, and I, I see so many reasons for me to say, you know, the effort just doesn't seem to be needed. We live in a country today where we have achieved so much, and we have overcome so many obstacles. It's so tempting to think that ease is the way that we ought to be living. But Christianity is not a religion that de- deals well with ease. Christianity is a religion of love and of the cross. And it feeds on sacrifice. Is sacrifice present in our life? I wonder if I look back at Osara whether he died a happy man. I wonder if when he was alive, if he was happier than I am. You know, a lot of times we look for happiness on the outside. We look for it in drink. We look for it in recreation. We look for it in all kinds of things. And I mean, all those things are fine. You know, if we had a nice car, if we have a nice house, if we have a nice couch in our nice house, in front of our nice TV, you know. And all these things are just fine. But you kind of wonder if what we don't pay in order to enjoy that comfort, if that's not perhaps too high a price. Because what we pay is the opportunity to dare something great and to sacrifice ourselves for goals and ideals that are bigger than us. And maybe the impact that that makes on our family is to create a family where it's all about themselves and their own pleasure. And we lose that conquest of soul that keeps our spirits alive and that makes human beings truly great the conquest of the soul that Junipero Serra embodied, he never stopped. He pushed forward. His motto rings in our ears today. Adelante, siempre adelante. Forward, always forward. Never back, always forward. Pushing himself towards that culmination of seeing the great Jesus, welcoming him in heaven. May you and I do the same.
0: Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at That's info at And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, ministries.org. That's ministries.org.